The readings this morning are two readings, Romans 2, 6 to 11, and 3, 22 to 23, beginning on page 858 of the Pre-Pew Bible. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honour and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who do live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil. For there will be glory and honour and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile, for God does not show favouritism. And chapter 3, 22... We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ and this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. James, if we can just pull up that uh, PowerPoint. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Uh, so today we continue our study through the book of Romans. And as I've suggested uh, a few weeks back, not only do we read through it, but we encourage you to read ahead, uh, like we did today. I, I told the first of us not to uh, let Alistair know that we skipped ahead to look, uh, but he's here, so he's found out. Um, so we look, read through the text, we read ahead in the book of Romans, and we want to also sometimes read around the book of Romans. Okay? Um, whether it's the other letters of Paul, uh, which he's written to the churches or other parts of the Bible. And the reason we do this is trying to get a greater understanding of God's word and to understand it in its fullness. God's used 40 different authors, um, and he's uh, used his spirit through these authors to proclaim his truth in his word. And so we can find common themes, common uh, things interweaving throughout the entire Bible. And so we want to get a greater understanding of the passage of Romans from today, uh, and want to ponder on what it might remind us, challenge us, call us to do. Uh, so we read through, read ahead, and read around the text. So let's take a look at a closer look at the um, six verses from chapter two, verses six to eleven. They're structured in a particular way, okay? And they're structured in such a way that they make um, three statements. And the first um, statement is actually at the very beginning, the verse six, and then verse eleven. And it sandwiches the other two statements in between. And it's this, that God will judge everyone equally with no favoritism. And then the other two points in between um, tell us of our two choices that we have. One choice is that we can keep on doing good. Uh, and the reward complements verse 7 down to verse 10. It complements by saying God will honor and reward those who keep on doing good. And then the other choice we have is that we carry on in our own lives and disobey uh, God and what he calls us to do and keep on doing evil. 
And if that's the case, then we're complimented, verse 8 to verse 9, with God's anger and wrath will be poured out on those who keep on doing evil. So while this structure clearly displays the message Paul is sharing to the church in Rome, it does accentuate some phrases that might sound contradictory to other parts of the text or, in fact, to our understanding about work, works and faith and how that um, ties them together. So the first phrase that might throw us is this concept that Paul says twice in this passage. He says the Jew first and then the Gentile. And we might ask ourselves, well, isn't that favoritism? Um, yes, God chose the Jewish nation first um, to be a blessing um, to all nations and to reveal um, his great plan. But Paul uses this phrase here to emphasize the Jewish Christians, the fact that God judges all, both Jew and Gentile equally. Last week, Alistair explained how in the first few chapters, um, Paul stated how terrible the Romans were. Okay? But then he pointed out quite blatantly to the Jewish Christians in the church of Rome that they were just as bad. And Paul's Jewish uh, audience would still be under common impression that God's blessings came first to the Jews, and they were very proud of that. Um, but Paul wants to um, remind them, because they presume, oh, yes, we got the blessings, um, and the, those heathens, uh, Roman heathen Gentiles, they'll get the judgment. Paul wants to remind them that if they expect to be first in line for the blessings, then they'd be prepared to be first in line for the judgment and the wrath if they disobey God. But perhaps the parts of the passage that might throw us the most are the parts in which it appears that Paul suggests that we can earn our way into salvation by simply doing good. Uh, in verse 7 he says, he will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good. Now, we know that the only way to salvation, to eternal life, is through our faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul knows that. So how do we align what Paul is saying here to what we know is true? First, as I mentioned, and as um, Alistair has mentioned other weeks, we need to recognize that this, his audience will have a number of Jewish Christians in it. They're used to the idea of obeying the laws, of the importance of works in their faith prior to Jesus coming in and revealing the awesome truth. And just as Alistair pointed out last week about how Paul sets up the Jewish Christians, I see Paul doing it in this uh, similar, something similar here in this verse. For any person, in fact, not just Jew or Gentile, uh, anyone who thinks that they can earn uh, salvation their own way. If we read ahead in chapter 3, again, I was going to say don't mention this to Alistair, but I think he's figured it out. Um, Paul says this in chapter 3. Uh, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Note the point here about God showing no favoritism. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. And what Paul states further about faith in chapter 3 and elsewhere squashes what he states about works in chapter 2. So he set his, um, his readers up to think, listen to this and maybe to hold on to some of their own little beliefs then in chapter 3 to actually show that um, any argument about uh, earning your salvation yourself is useless. Um, it's useless to, to believe that we can work our way into heaven. And as I think about that, it reminds me of a fourth way we need to uh, tackle Romans. I've said that we should keep on reading through it. We should read ahead of it. I encourage you to read ahead, see what's coming up. We should read around it. 
But I also want to encourage you to keep on rereading the book of Romans. So in fact, by the time we get to chapter 3, read chapter 1, 2 and 3 before you come along to hear chapter 3. Um, we're going to do a lot of reading over the next, I don't know, how many years, how many months do you think it will take, Alistair? It's another few months. Another few months. So this is going to be a lot of Bible reading, which is a good thing, is it not? Um, so with this in mind, perhaps a good way to reflect on these Bible verses today uh, and what we want to um, be able to take from this is to consider them as being spoken to Christians who have already been saved by faith and now exercise their faith by what they do. Paul explains this in a very personal way uh, in his letter to Corinth, the church in Corinth, the first letter. He says, uh, For I've worked harder than any of the other apostles, yet I was, it was not I, but God who is working through me by his grace. And so now, so the two choices are now presented before all of us who have faith in Jesus as Son of God. In fact, if we look at these uh, verses in chapter 2, we can see how our faith and our deeds work together. They should never really be separated. You know, our way of living um, and our faith should always be seen as one. When we proclaim Jesus as our Lord, then that should influence how we live and how we keep on living. No matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, we can keep on doing good, or we can refuse to obey God's word and continue in our sinful ways. So let's jump from the book of Romans um, to read around the text now. I'd like us to look at two parables from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, which demonstrate the importance of faith, but also show it uh, in relation to works and how they combine. The parables are fairly well known, uh, so I'll paraphrase them a little bit, uh, rather than read them word for word. The first parable is um, the parable of the wedding banquet. Okay, and that's found in Matthew chapter 22. So let me uh, tell you a little bit about it. Uh, first, we hear about a king who's got a feast for his son, a wedding feast for his son, and he invites people to it. He sends out the invitations, but the people who receive the invitations, they all refuse to come. Okay, and consider that in verse 8 of Romans 2, those who refuse to obey the truth. Okay. In fact, um, it's like the, if a king is going to invite you, or if a queen invited you to a jubilee, um, you wouldn't refuse. Okay? It's not a sort of invite that you refuse, and, and you certainly would not turn it down. And so this um, helps us to sort of think about what's the attitude of these people as they receive this invite. Anyway, the king sends uh, other servants to tell them, the feast is ready, come now to the banquet. But the guests he invited ignored them and went on their own way. Very much like we hear of in Romans, those who live for themselves. In fact, these uh, people who first received the invitation, they don't just ignore it again, they start beating some of the servants with the invitation, they even kill some of them. So they don't just go their own way, but they start going into sinful ways. The king was furious and he destroys them. And he says, but the wedding feast is ready. We need to fill this hall up. And so he says to his servants, now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike. And the banquet hall was filled with guests. And it talks about them going out to the streets, to the fields, and even the people in the hedges. In the corners, in the hidden places, and inviting them. 
Then in the Gospel of Matthew, we get this extra detail of a man who goes to the banquet but not wearing the appropriate wedding clothes. So he's taken the invite, he's, he's come along to see what's happening, but he's not dressed in the wedding attire. And when the king comes to meet his guests, he notices this man. He calls him a friend even. He says, friend, how is it that you're here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. And so the king says to his, his other servants, he says, take this man, bind him, throw him out in the darkness, where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, all the characters in this parable, the subjects at the start who refuse to come, or this man who hasn't chosen to put on the wedding clothes, they were all invited to the wedding banquet. But it wasn't just enough to decide they've heard of the king. They needed to act and behave in such a way that you would expect subjects to act like for a king. They needed to act in such a way that showed that they accepted him as their king. The first group chose to live for themselves, even though it meant standing up against the requests of a king. And the man at the end of the parable wanted to enter the banquet on his own terms, like someone who might want or even expect eternal life without accepting Jesus as Lord. In both their cases, disobedience to the king also highlighted their attitude to the king. It's not surprising in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, a few chapters later in chapter 5, um, we hear Jesus talking about the final judgment. And Jesus explains how he'll, at the end judgment, he'll divide people into two groups. And there'll be those who he'll recognize who have kept on doing good. And they're the ones who have given a cup of water um, to the least of his people, he says. And they think, when have we ever helped you out? Lord, what have we ever done? And he says, whenever you gave just a cup of water to one of the least of my people, you were doing it for me. And he says to them, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. And then there's another group on his left who are gobsmacked that Jesus doesn't recognize them. He says, oh, how come? And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. It suggests that the attitude we have towards others demonstrates the attitude we would have towards Jesus. Let's look at one more parable. Uh, and this parable, again in uh, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, is a parable of uh, the three servants, or often we call it the parable of the talents. I'll paraphrase that uh, for you. Um, but as we look at it, I want you to consider not just the two choices that we have, as explained in, in Romans 2, but ponder on this. Is there a third choice? One that sits right down on the line of these two choices, of either continuing to do good or just living for ourselves and carrying on with our wickedness. Is there such a thing as a third choice to have faith in Jesus, but to do nothing at all about it? Let's have a listen to the parable. So again, a, a man, a master of a household, goes on a long trip. Before he goes, he gives his servants um, some money to look after. He trusts them to it. To one servant, he gives uh, five bags of silver. Another, he gives two bags of silver. And then to the third one, he gives one bag of silver, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And then he goes on his trip. Uh, the servant who received the five bags puts it to work straight away. He invests the money. He does things with what he's been entrusted with, 
And he doubles it. He gets five more. There's ten bags of silver there. And the servant with two does the same. He uh, puts it to work and gains another two bags. So he has four bags of silver. And then the last servant. The last servant uh, who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money in it. After a long time, the servant returns. He wants to hear, he asks them to give an account of how they've used his money. And of course, uh, we hear the first servant showing that he's doubled it, and the master says, well done, true and faithful servant. Come, let's celebrate. In fact, have, hold on to that there, because I've trusted you with five, you've made it double, look after that. And he says the same thing to the second servant. Well done, true and faithful servant. And then we get the response of the third servant, the one with the one bag. The servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money. So I had it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. The master's reply is, you wicked and lazy servant. And he says, why didn't you at least put it in the, the money in the bank? At least I could have got interest on it. And then he orders the servants to take that one bag and give it to the one who now has ten. And the ending of this parable is the same as the wedding banquet. He says, now throw this useless servant into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, the danger of having faith but doing nothing with it is that we are challenged with the question, do we really believe that Jesus is who he is? Surely if Jesus tells his disciples that they will do even greater things than he, they've seen him do, that means that we should respond by looking at doing more good and keep on doing something good. And then we might see the greater things that he's talking about. And if we were to call Jesus our saviour but take no action to display this, we would, at the very best, be like what Paul describes in his letter to Corinth, like a builder who's built up things in his own life, um, strove for certain things, but then it all goes up in flames. And he... Um, will suffer great loss. He might uh, escape the flames himself, but everything else he put his life into is gone. Perhaps a message for Christians today uh, that we can pick out of Romans 2 in these two parables is looking at uh, the busy subjects in this parable of the banquet and the servant who was given just the one talent, and it's their attitudes. It's highlighted again in Matthew 25, when Jesus talks about the final judgment. And the message is this. Perhaps the attitude we have towards others demonstrates the attitude we really have towards God. The attitude of these characters stops them from doing good. In fact, for the, um, the servants who refuse invitation, it starts making them do evil. And as with the third servant with the one bag of silver, the attitude he had towards his master stops him again from doing good with the talent he'd been given. Are there attitudes in our minds and hearts that stop us from keeping on doing good? Do we sometimes think, well, I don't agree with that person's idea, so they can just go ahead and do it alone. I won't bother helping. Or, that person has plenty of time and money or resources or others to help them out. I don't need to give them a hand. 
Or perhaps we have been put out or offended by another Christian. And so anytime we see something good that they might be doing or hear about it, in our hearts and in our minds we go, humph, humph. That's a troublesome word. Try spelling it. All right. Humph. I believe it's officially spelled H-E-M-P-H, but it's a word with attitude, so it should be H-M-M-M-P-H. Okay? Humph. And the other troublesome bit about the word humph is that you have to say it with your mouth closed. It's a word with attitude, and you close your mouth, and if you say humph, it doesn't just close your mouth, but I reckon your nasal airways get blocked too. And the only way, the direction that a humph can go is back into your heart. And there it grows as a bigger attitude and not a good one. If that is our attitude towards one another, then it might actually highlight our real attitude towards God. What do we say to God when we decide to deliberately stop doing good or celebrating the good that someone else is doing? If it's because we are annoyed or frustrated due to a situation, then bring it to God. Bring your annoyance and your frustrations to God. The prophet Habakkuk did. He complained to God. The whole book, the book of Habakkuk is um, Habakkuk bringing his complaint to God and God revealing a, a vision. Okay? God was big enough to take on that complaint. He's big enough to listen to us when we have frustrations or complaints or just angry about stuff. And then when God revealed to Habakkuk his plans, that humph or that complaint turned into wide open mouth praise to God. And so we go full circle from looking around the text of Romans back to the text of Romans. In fact, we're going to go back to the text for the year, Romans 1, 16 and 17. Let's read it as we conclude here. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it's through faith that a righteous person has life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you when you reveal to us individually little things in our lives which well, we just need to deal with. And they go unseen until we read your word. And then when we open our hearts to you, Lord, you reveal some little things. Sometimes we need to deal with them. Sometimes we need to look at how we have to go to others. Lord, I pray now that... Um, that we would, as we read your word and as we continue going through the book of Romans, would be people who would live by the faith we have in you. And it would be shown through what we say and what we do. And there would be nothing in our lives that will stop us from doing good. Forgive me, Lord, when I've done that. When I've been hesitant of doing something good for you. Forgive us, Lord, when for whatever little reason, that little humph in our mind or our heart might try and stop us from doing your word. Lord, we long to praise your name. We long to make you known to others. We make ourselves wholly available to you, Lord. Do what you will so we may see even greater things 
that you will do in us than before. In Jesus' name, amen.